Acts, Acts chapter 2. And we're talking about the power to be witnesses. Acts chapter 2. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we read in Luke's Gospel, and of course Luke wrote the book of Acts, and we read the first part of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, where Jesus um, tells his disciples to go and wait in the city of Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father, until they are endued with power from on high. That's recorded in Luke 24. It's also recorded in Acts chapter 1. That's the promise of power. Uh, Last week we began talking about the provision of power in Acts chapter 2. Let's read the first four verses of Acts chapter 2 together. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the the Spirit gave them utterance. It goes on, and and the record here tells us that there were devout Jews dwelling in Jerusalem at that time, and we know that 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 was true because this was the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. This Old Testament feast, it was one of three of the seven Old Testament feasts where God commanded every male to appear before him. And this is the way he recorded it. This is the way he gave it to Moses. In the place in which I will cause my name to dwell forever. We know that ultimately was the city of Jerusalem uh, in the natural, but we know ultimately that is who? That's us, the people of God, the new Jerusalem that John sees coming down from heaven. This is, come and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And we remember we've said this before, Jesus is not marrying a city, he's marrying a people, right? And so this people, this new holy Jerusalem, this, this is the people of God, the city. So when God told Moses, when God told Moses... When he was there on Sinai and God was giving him the Torah, when God told Moses, I will cause every male to appear before me in the place in which I will cause my name to dwell forever, God was looking beyond just a physical city named Jerusalem and he was looking to a people that would be the bride of the Lamb, the bride of his son, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So we... We looked at Pentecost, and Pentecost is called the Feast of Weeks. It's, it's got a dual association. It's associated with the harvest. As a matter of fact, it's called the Feast of Harvest in Exodus. Exodus 23, 16 calls it the Feast of Harvest, but it also commemorates the giving of the law or the giving of the Word of God to the children of Israel at Sinai. In So it's got a dual association, but those associations, though they may seem to be separate, are really not separate. They actually are linked together. And so Pentecost, the word Pentecost signifies, it's a a Greek word that means 50, and the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Pentecost 
was 50 days after first fruits, or Passover. Remember, Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was resurrected on first fruits. And first fruits is always the Sunday, the first day after the Sabbath following the Passover. So if Jesus was crucified, let's say, on a Friday, we know that he was resurrected on a Sunday because that Sunday is the first day of the week according to the Jewish calendar after that that Sabbath, which was Saturday. So the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday, the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday The New Testament writers refer to it as the Lord's Day because that was the day of his resurrection. And they know it was a Sunday. And so 50 days after that Sunday of Jesus' resurrection is the day of Pentecost. Seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. Plus that day makes 50 days. Thus it's called Pentecost. So it occurs 50 days after the first day of the counting of the Omer. This is Jewish terminology. That word Omer means offering. And that offering didn't mean their checks they wrote. It meant the harvest from their field. And so Pentecost Pentecost was associated with the offerings that were being brought in from the field. So Jesus was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruit. So that day was the day that the farmer, the, har- the barley harvest came in first. The wheat harvest came in last. So Pentecost is associated with the grain harvest. And on the Feast of first fruit, the first sheave of the grain harvest, which would have been a sheave of barley, was brought before the Lord and waved before the Lord. It was the first fruits of the harvest. That was fulfilled literally in Jesus. This is why he is called the first fruits of resurrection, the first fruits of of those who have been resurrected from the dead. He's not the first person that's ever been raised from the dead, but he's the first person that's ever been resurrected unto eternal life. He's the first fruits. And then 50 days later comes Pentecost, and at Pentecost they bring the first sheave of the wheat harvest, and they wave it before the Lord. And then what is presented to the Lord is actually two loaves of bread, two loaves of leavened bread is presented to the Lord. And so Pentecost is 50 days after that offering of the barley harvest, seven weeks from first fruits. First fruits offering is the first sheave of barley marking the beginning of the grain harvest. Pentecost occurs 50 days later, and it commemorates the beginning of the wheat harvest, which signifies, now listen, church, which signifies the conclusion of the grain harvest. So Pentecost signified the beginning of the end. What did Peter say? This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last Days. This was the beginning of the end of something. Pentecost signified the beginning of the end of harvest. 
in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm, Pentecost signified the beginning of the end of the harvest. Do you realize there is going to come a day when God says the harvest is complete? We don't know what that number is. We don't know when that time is. But there is going to come a day when God says, those who are appointed to harvest, the harvest has been brought in and that's it. The beginning of that has come. The beginning of the harvest, it has begun. And Pentecost marked the beginning of the end or the conclusion of the harvest. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? There was something that was begun at Pentecost that said, that communicates to us that there is an end coming. This, like at the table, we come to the table, what did Paul say? We come to the table, we proclaim the body and the blood of Jesus even until he comes again. This table proclaims the beginning and the end of something. It also proclaims the, the end of that thing is not... When Jesus comes again, there is something that is going to end. We call it the end of the world. We have all of these you know, pictures in our heads of what that's going to be like, which I think many of those aren't even biblical pictures. They're just kind of things we conjure up because we've read a bunch of stuff we probably shouldn't be reading. We should stick to the Bible. Jesus is going to come and there is going to be a consummation of all things. He's going to bring the consummation of, 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 uh, of all things. And so Pentecost, in a sense, marks the beginning. These, in the last days, this is what Joel wrote centuries before the coming of Christ. And Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and he said, This is what was written by the prophet Joel in the last days. Are we in the last days? Yes. How long have we been in the last days? The last days began 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. How do we know? Because that's what Peter says. Actually, they began even before Pentecost. If you read all of the prophet Joel, you'll see that Joel wasn't just talking about the day of Pentecost. Joel was writing about Christ and the coming of the Messiah. I'm telling you what, when Jesus came on the scene, it marked the beginning of something. It also marked the beginning of the end of something. It's kind of like when the sun rises, the sunrise marks the beginning of something, but it also marks there's an end coming too, because just as the sun rises, the sun is going to set. So the sunrise marks the beginning of the day that will end. But at the end of that day, guess what comes again? Guess what comes? A new day comes. Listen, on the day of Pentecost, God marked the beginning of something that signified there was an end coming, but at that end, with that end, there is something new that is also coming. Amen? So Pentecost commemorated the harvest. It's all about the harvest. It commemorates the beginning of the wheat harvest and the conclusion of the grain harvest. It marked the beginning of the end of something. 
It also commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai when the nation of Israel received the word of God. If you go to Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 11, actually Moses records these words and he says, On the third day, have you ever noticed that in the Bible a lot of things happen on the third day? On the th- Let's just go there. Hold your place in the book of Acts. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19.11 says, this is God telling Moses, look, get, these, get the people ready. I'm fixing to speak to you. I'm fixing to speak to the people, and they need to be ready. It's going to freak them out really bad, Moses. So give them instruction because if they freak out too bad and they start running to the mountain, they're, they're going to die because I'm holy and they're not. Do you know how Moses was able to come into the presence of God and hear, have God speak to him? Was it because Moses was holy? Was Moses holy? Was Moses more holy than the rest of the children of Israel? He wasn't. You know why Moses was able to go but nobody else was? It's called grace. It's the grace of God. Moses wasn't special. Moses was flesh just like we are flesh. He was sinful just like we are sinful. Now Moses, listen, Moses walked in obedience. He walked in submission to the Lord. But it wasn't, his, it wasn't just his obedience and submission. That, that didn't cause Moses to be holy. Moses was able to come into the presence of God because God in his grace allowed Moses, called Moses to come. But Moses is getting ready to tell now all of this uh, to the children of Israel and bring them to the mountain. It says, verse 11, and let them be ready for the third day. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, we could preach a whole message on this. That, that's significant in and of itself. But go down to verse 16. For then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They were scared. I mean, there was fire and smoke and lightning and trembling and a loud trumpet and a louder trumpet, and a louder trumpet. It kept getting louder and louder and louder. And finally, the people said, Look, Moses, you talk to us, that's fine, but we don't want God to talk to us because he scares us. So if God has anything to say to us, you tell us. We don't want to hear from God anymore because he freaks us out too much. That's really what they said. They couldn't couldn't handle it. But now, Pentecost... The Feast of Pentecost, this is what Pentecost signifies. Pentecost signifies, it commemorates the day when God spoke to the children of Israel and gave them his word, gave them his law. All those things recorded, you know, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those things recorded in in Deuteronomy All the law, that's what God gave to Moses for the people. This is what Pentecost commemorates. The revealing, the giving of the word of God to his people. So for for centuries, 
for centuries, for 1,500 years. They would have lapses, but I'm telling you what, God didn't lapse. God marked it every year. God knew every year, this is the day, this is the feast. You should be keeping this feast. Sometimes Israel kept it, sometimes they didn't keep it. You can read in the Old Testament where they discovered the the book of the law and they, they realized under Josiah that they had not kept the feast. And they kept the Passover for the first time in many, many, many years. Listen, this is what God gave them. And so God marked this. So for 1,500 years, there was a commemoration of this. God knew when he gave his word to his people. And this is what Pentecost signified, the giving of the word of God to the people of God. So on that day, some 2,000 years ago, after the resurrection of Jesus, look what the writer of, in the book of Acts says. Go back to the book of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Because that first day, that day on that mountain, when Moses and the children of Israel were there and God gave the word, God understood why he gave that word to his people. God understood what all of that was representing. That it, that it spoke of something, an ultimate fulfillment that was coming. And here the writer of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. I'm telling you what, this was the day spoken of. This was the day promised. This was the day that the prophets wrote of, that the prophets dreamed of. This was the day Moses wrote about and recorded. It was more than just fire and smoke and lightning on a mountain in the middle of of a desert in the Middle East. It was more than just words written on tablets of stone. It was more than that. This was about the word who was made flesh, who dwelt among us, John 1.14. This, the giving of the word of God at Sinai was only a type and a shadow, a foreshadowing of the giving of the word that would be made flesh and dwell among us. And we beheld his glory even as the, as the, as the only begotten son of God. This is the word that God has given. Do you understand that, church? This is the word that dwells in you. And it dwells in you because when the day of Pentecost had fully come, what God promised even to Moses before there was a city called Jerusalem, while they were still wandering in a wilderness, fresh out of Egypt, God knew what his plan, what his eternal purpose was. And on a day in Jerusalem, after the resurrection of the crucified Lamb of God, that day fully came and God poured out His Spirit. And God gave us His Word. Not just in hearing, not just in writing, but He wrote it on our hearts. He put it in us. That Word that may... That, that became flesh and dwelt among us. He was with us. Now he is in us. Do you understand the significance of that day? 
I'm going to submit to you that the vast majority of the church today does not understand the significance of that day. You know why? Because we're still looking for another day. We're still looking for some day that's to come. No, listen, I'm telling you what. The day we live in right now, man, it's an awesome day. What you have right now, I'm telling you what, it is, it is beyond our comprehension how awesome, how powerful, how glorious it is what God has given to us. This is what Pentecost commemorated. And on that day, on that day, God poured out His Spirit. Jesus gave the promise of power, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit to His people, to His disciples. He said, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus has caused that promise to come to pass. That promise is available for us today. So when we look at the book of Acts, and we look at Acts chapter 2, when we look at verses 1 through 16, we see the record. The record where God caused that promise to come to pass. The provision of the promise was brought to fulfillment. It's recorded right there. And these devout men from every nation, from every nation under heaven, verse 5 says. Why were they there? Because God, 1,500 years ago, commanded Moses, make sure they all come to the place in which I've chosen for my name to dwell forever. At that time, when Jesus walked the earth, it was the physical city of Jerusalem where there was a physical temple. And they were all there from every nation under heaven, not realizing what was getting ready to take place. And in that morning, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God poured out His Spirit. Peter comes out of the room with the other 120, and he preaches this message. And what does Peter say? And it says that they heard, they heard the wonderful works of God declared, each in their own language. And so we get to verse 17. What does verse 17 say? And it shall come to pass. Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. When God gave that to the prophet Joel, God was saying, Joel, there's a day coming in the last days that are yet to come. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so if we read the rest of Acts chapter 2 from verse 17 to 21, that that, that's, that's the record taken from the Old Testament Scriptures, the prophet Joel. We see the promise of power spoken by the prophet Joel brought to pass. And this is what Peter is telling us, teaching us. This is the commentary. We understand now what this Old Testament Scripture in the book of Joel was talking about. How do we know what it is? Because Peter tells us exactly what it is. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. By the way, if you go read the rest of that book, you'll see there's a lot more there that speaks of Christ, the coming of Christ in his first advent, the teacher of righteousness. I will send you the, the former reign, the teacher of righteousness. I'll send you the latter reign. I mean, he's talking about Christ and the Holy Spirit. And it's all laid out right there in the book of Joel. And so here we see it literally brought to pass. And Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now let's concentrate on this phrase, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. These three words, on all flesh. Because it's important for us to understand. 
So on the day of Pentecost, let me ask you a question. On the day of Pentecost, do you believe that when the Spirit of God was poured out, that every human being and every animal on the face of the earth, God poured out His Spirit into every human being and every animal on the face of the earth, all flesh? Is that what that scripture means? I'll tell you the answer. It does not mean that. It does not mean that. On the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, every human being on the face of the earth, every animal on the face of the earth, everything that has flesh did not receive the Spirit of God. On all flesh does not mean that. You guys understand that, right? So we need to be careful how we interpret some of these phrases. And we need to be consistent in how we understand what the Scripture is talking about. Well, so what does this phrase, on all flesh, mean then? These words recorded in Acts 2.17 that Peter quotes from the prophet Joel in, 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 in Joel 2.28. In the Old Testament, do you know who received the Spirit of God? I mean, it's recorded. Why did Moses anoint Aaron with the, with the holy anointing oil? Who was Aaron? He was the high priest. And so the priest was anointed with the holy anointing oil. Who else got anointed? Who anointed the king? Kings got anointed, right? Remember the story when Samuel goes and he finds little David? He goes, Jesse... The father of David brings all of his sons and he leaves little David out there in the field because who would have ever believed that little David would be a king? Certainly it's not David. He brings all the sons that look kingly and Samuel's there with his bottle of anointing oil waiting to anoint the new king. He says, uh, sorry, Dad, but uh, none, of the, none of these are the king. What? You've got to be kidding. You don't have another son somewhere? Uh, well, no. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, David, you know, but... Uh, Surely not. Bring him. There, there's the king. And what did Samuel do? He anointed David, the child, the young boy, with the holy anointing oil. Signifying what? That the Spirit of God was, upon, was going to rest upon him. He was anointed to be king. So we see priests and prophets and kings in the Old Testament. But, but Samuel didn't anoint Jesse with the holy anointing oil. He... The common people, it, it wasn't for all flesh. It was only for some flesh. Prophet, priest, king. So throughout the Old Testament, you see this recorded where these people were anointed. But now, the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, he prophesy something very strange. There's going to come a day in the last days when God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not meaning every human being alive on planet earth at that time, but meaning that it's no longer just for prophets, priests, or kings. What else did all the prophets, priests, and kings have in common in the Old Testament? What nation was every prophet, priest, and king from that was anointed by God. They were all Jews. So there was no Amalekite that was anointed by the prophet. There was no 
Philistines anointed by the prophets. There were no Greeks anointed by the prophets. They were all Jews. The only way you could get anointed with the holy anointing oil for the office of prophet, priest, or king, you had to be a Jew. Not a proselyte either. You had to have the bloodline. But the prophet, he says something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, there is coming a day, though, when God says he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Not just Jewish flesh, but all flesh. How many here are pure ethnic Jews? It's okay if you are. Nothing to be ashamed of. Do I have any pure ethnic Jews here today? How many of you here know for a fact that you are not a pure ethnic Jew? Raise your hand. Oh, well, that's all of us. Well, how in the world did you get the Holy Spirit if you're not a Jew? You know how you got it? You got it by the grace of God because God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh, not just Jews anymore, not just prophets anymore, not just kings and priests anymore, but on all flesh. Not every animal and human that lives on planet Earth at the time I do it. No, he's talking about something different. No longer is it going to be exclusive to Jews, and and not only to Jews, but Jews who hold specific offices ordained by God. Well, as a matter of fact, God just ordained us as office holders. We'll look at that in just a moment. So on all flesh... So in the new covenant in Christ, the provision of power through the Holy Spirit is now poured out on all flesh. Look what Peter says. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your men servants and your maid servants. I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders. Look, so he's saying, look, it's not just this exclusive group anymore. Sons and daughters, young and old, men servants, maid servants, Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. You know what the word Gentile means? It literally means nations. So in God's economy, in the Old Testament, when God gives the law to Moses, there were the Jews and there were the nations. It didn't matter whether you were Greek or Russian or Irish or Mexican or African. If you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. You were of the nations. Didn't matter what nation you happened to be from. You were just classified as the nations. In other words, that means you're not Jewish. But now God's saying, you know what? Prophesy something in the last days. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young, old, male, female, The provision of power is to all who are where? Where has God blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Where? In Christ. In Christ. Where do grapes grow from? From the branch that's abiding where? In the vine. You ever seen a branch produce grapes that's not abiding in a vine? Doesn't happen. So we receive the blessing of God. We receive the the promise of the Spirit where? In Christ. So regardless of age, gender, social status, race, ethnicity, 
Paul writes it this way to the Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one. Everybody say one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You might not be an ethnic Jew, but you are Abraham's seed if you are where? In Christ. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed. He writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3, 10 and 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This is why they accused Paul of teaching heresy. This is why they wanted to kill Paul. Because when Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's not circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no longer barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all. And he is all. Do you see the distinction is gone? Now, I sympathize with the Jews who kept the law now for 1,500 years. And you got this guy come along who says, you know what? We're not throwing that away. No, the law is holy. It's good. We're not going to throw it away. Jesus said, I'm not getting rid of the law. I'm going to fulfill. I am the fulfillment of the law. See, the promise of salvation was never exclusively to the Jews. Read your Old Testament. God made promises to all nations on earth. Salvation was always promised to all. And it was always by grace that, that it would come to all. And God gave signposts and pictures to show us the way. Every feast, those seven feasts were signposts and pictures pointing the way. They were like neon signs flashing going, Jesus, Jesus, it's Jesus. Everything in the law was showing us a righteousness that was beyond ourselves, saying, you can't do this. People are going, God is so unreasonable. He's demanding something of me that I can't do. And God goes, exactly. That's exactly what I've done. I want you to realize you cannot do this because I want you to come to me so that I can give you my righteousness. You can't make yourself holy. You can only be holy because I make you holy. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be perfect, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48. As your Father in heaven is perfect. How in the world are you going to do that in this flesh? You can't. So you kill this flesh. You crucify this flesh. You find your life in Christ. And the Holy One makes you holy. Now you have touched the holy. You've become part of the holy. And guess what? His holiness is going to eat up your unholiness and make you holy. You're a part of the holy lump now. His holiness has made you holy. He's poured his spirit out on all flesh. So the promise of the spirit is to Jew and Gentile. That's what on all flesh means. I'll pour out my spirit on Jew and Gentile. It's no longer exclusive to, to this ethnic group. Why? How do we know that's true? Because we have the record of the New Testament. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. Read Ephesians 2. We don't have time today, but read Ephesians chapter 2, and you'll see clearly Scripture teaches that God abolished 
the distinctive lines. He abolished the wall of separation. Now there is one new man in Christ. He has created in himself one new man. The promise of the Spirit is to Jew and Gentile on all tribes, on all tongues, on all nations, regardless of age, gender, or social status. It's to and on all who are where? In Christ. Now, let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. So those three little words, on all flesh, are very important. We're talking about the power to be witnesses. Jesus made a promise of power, and he didn't make an empty promise. He delivered on that promise on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, he poured out his Spirit on all flesh, on Jew and Gentile. We see the record of this in the book of Acts. It, it only, that day of Pentecost, listen, there were every nation under heaven represented there, but guess what? They were all Jews. But we see, what did Jesus command us? Preach this gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see in the four records of the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts, you see that record of the outpouring follows exactly the Great Commission. The outpouring began in Jerusalem. They lived in Jerusalem, had a wonderful little church in Jerusalem. Just It was, it was like heaven on earth. God says this just won't do because they won't leave Jerusalem. So what's he do? He sends the persecution of Acts chapter 8 and disperses them out of Jerusalem, and they begin to preach the gospel now in Judea and Samaria. Now you've got these Samaritans down there who have received salvation, and word gets back. Hey, the Samaritans have received salvation. Those dogs? Peter and John go down to Samaria. God causes them to lay hands on them, and Peter and John, with their own eyes, witnessed the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that they received on the day of Pentecost, fall on the Samaritans. They spoke with other tongues. They could not deny that salvation had come to the Samaritans. What did they do? They went back to the Jerusalem church. They said, hey, the Samaritans got it. I know. They're a bunch of dogs, but you know what? God loves them. God gave it to them. How can we discriminate against them? You understand the Jews really thought the Samaritans were, they were just dogs. They were traitors. They were half-breeds. But you know what? God gave his spirit to those traitorous half-breeds. And he made those purebred Jews witness it with their own eyes, even lay their own hands on them so that they could not deny what God was doing. And you know the rest of the story. Here's Peter praying like a good Jew on top of Simon the Tanner's house. It's about lunchtime. He's getting hungry. God gives him a vision, and here comes this sheet, and he sees all this food, and God says, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, Lord, God forbid, you know, nothing unclean. He, Peter's never had bacon for breakfast. He has his breakfast taco. He does not eat bacon on it. Nothing unclean has ever passed his lips because he's a good Jew. And what does God do? He makes him, he, he makes him do this three times, and finally God says, Peter, don't call anything I've created unclean. About that time, Knock on the door. Guess who it is? A bunch of Gentiles. We're looking for some guy named Peter. Is he here? Yeah, he's up on the roof praying. Peter, you need to come with us because God says, 
God had told Peter, look, these guys are coming. Go with them. So where does Peter go? He goes to the house of Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? He is a Gentile. Peter says, you know, Cornelius, it's, it's against the law for me to even be in your house. Much less preach the gospel to you. Because Cornelius is like, tell us about your God. Peter begins to tell him I mean, before he can get to the altar call. Guess what happens? Acts chapter 10. Spirit of God falls on them. Peter didn't lay hands. Peter didn't do anything. He's just talking. All of a sudden, boof, it just happens. Just like it did on the day of Pentecost. What does Peter do? He goes back. He says, look, I know you guys aren't going to like this because you had a fit when the Samaritans got it, but I hate to tell you, but the Gentiles got it too. No, you got to be kidding me. The Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles. I mean, I was standing in the dude's living room. I saw it happen right there. Just like we got it on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God, what can we do? Can we forbid? If God gives it to how are we going to forbid them? Well, we can't. Because God was causing the fulfillment of what he had prophesied centuries before through the Old Testament prophets to come to pass. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and no one could deny what God was doing because God made sure that those purebred Jews were there to witness it personally. These purebred Jews who wrote, who are the author of the scriptures that we have today. You think that was coincidence? Or you think God had a plan? I think God had a plan. Now, have y'all found the book of Revelation yet? I gave y'all plenty of time. All right, Revelation chapter 4. Let me give you the thumbnail sketch here. Revelation chapter 4, John is, is now in his vision. He's, he's in the heavenly realm. And he is there before the throne, and he sees the four living creatures. Same four living creatures that Ezekiel saw back in his prophecy. He sees the four living creatures, and look at verse 8, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They do not rest day or night. You know what that means? That means, and we don't know how long, from, from somewhere back in eternity, whenever God created these living creatures... From the day he created them, from the time he created them, they have not ceased to sing this song, to, 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 to cause this saying to go forth before the throne of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Say it with me. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Say it again. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I'm telling you, from, from eternity past, these four living creatures have not ceased singing this song day and night. That is amazing. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, there's another group here, the 24 elders. And the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. And this is what the elders say. The whole time the four living creatures are going, holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole time they're doing this, here are the 24 elders. And they're going, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This is going on simultaneously in heaven. And this has been going on for who knows how long. Doesn't tell us. Chapter 5. John says, I saw, an angel, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So here is God on the throne in this vision. Here are these living creatures. Holy, holy, holy. Here are these 24 elders falling down, bowing down, singing this song. You are worthy, O Lord. And God's sitting there and he's got the scroll in his hand. Him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven and no one on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. When did he prevail? When did, he pre when did the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David prevail? He prevailed at the cross. He prevailed at his resurrection. He defeated hell. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He defeated sin. He prevailed. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out on all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, look at this, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bolts full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now, get the picture here. Somewhere from eternity past, whenever God created these living creatures, whatever they are, they have, day and night, without rest, been declaring, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And now, something has happened. A change has taken place. Now, a lamb, as though it has been slain, has appeared before the throne and has taken the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne, the scroll that no one was worthy to take. But he took the scroll because he alone is worthy. And now the four living creatures and the 24 elders are now falling down before the lamb and they are singing a new song. Y'all want to know what the song is? Now, you want to talk about old music. I'm telling you what, this is some old music right here. You sing this song, it don't get any older than this. Matter of fact, it's probably the oldest song that we know that's recorded. Holy, holy, holy. Now we're fixing to sing the new song. And that new song's pretty old too. Now. And they sing a new song saying, 
you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of what? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Not just the tribe of Judah, not just the tribe of Ephraim, not just the tribe of Benjamin, not just the tribe of Naphtali. Out of every tribe and tongue and nation, you have redeemed us by your blood and have made us, look at this, kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. This is the new song. They sang a new song. Why? Because God fulfilled his promise. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. How was God able to keep that promise? Because the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world came forth. The only one worthy to walk that road, to walk that path to the cross. And he took upon himself our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He took all of our grief and all of our sorrow upon himself. He took all of our sin upon himself. And he was pierced for us. And he redeemed us. Out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation, he redeemed us by his blood. Provision of power is to all who are in Christ. To as many as the Lord our God will call. Look at Acts. Go back to the book of Acts now. Acts chapter 2. Here's what Peter declares. To the men of Israel that day. Who were gathered there to keep a feast like they had done Every year. Acts chapter 2. Let's just begin in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's interesting, in the record of the scripture, it says on that day, men from every nation under heaven were there, and they heard the disciples declare the wonderful works of God, and each heard in his own language. If you go to Genesis chapter 11, you'll see the record of the Tower of Babel. And it's, a, it's an interesting record. This is, this, is, this is after the flood, and man has began to repopulate the earth. And there was a guy named Nimrod. He wasn't a good character. And man decided that they were never going to be destroyed by flood again. They were never going to let God destroy the earth again. So they 
all, the Bible says in, in Genesis 11, they all had, the earth had one common language. And they got together and said, let's build a city. And they, they baked brick as stone. The Bible says they baked brick as stone. In other words, if they just made clay, put it together and let it dry in the sun, guess what happens when it rains? It dissolves. But if you take that clay and you bake it and you fire it, water won't dissolve it. And it says they took asphalt as mortar. Asphalt is waterproof. So they made, begin to build a city. This is what the Bible says. Genesis, they begin to build a city out of baked bricks and asphalt. And they said, we're going to build this city. We're going to ascend into the heavens. Basically, if you read the account of the historian Josephus, they said, God will never be able to destroy us again because we're going to build this city so high, we're going to ascend into the heavens where God is, and the, the waters will never be able to come up and, and overcome us. The Bible says God came down to look at their city. It says, you know what? Man is pretty ingenious. He can do just about anything he puts his mind to. And the Bible says that God in that day confused their language and made it where they could not understand one another. There is a spiritual correlation between that day when God at Babel confused the language of men and this day of Pentecost when God brought men from every nation under heaven. The Bible also says they were one in that day and when God scattered their language, he scattered them and they were no longer one nation. So you have at Babel the scattering of the nations and the dispersion of the nations and the, the dividing of languages. On the day of Pentecost, you have... What Peter records, every nation under heaven was represented there where God in his divine plan and purpose created a day when all men from under heaven, every nation under heaven would come together. And what did God do supernaturally just like he divided their language at Babel? He supernaturally caused them to hear each in their own language what? The wonderful works of God being declared to them. And he brought all nations together and he calls them to hear together the word of God. That was a beginning of something. That is still happening today. There's a reason why, listen, there's a reason why we don't feel compelled to come into this place and just speak in tongues. The gift of tongues was given for a very specific purpose when the church was birthed. We all speak a common language here today. What was the purpose of tongues on that day of Pentecost? That those people from every nation under heaven would be able to hear and understand these Galileans who didn't speak all these other languages, but yet they heard each in their own language. You know what's happening? Now the gospel. Look, we're in Taylor, Texas. How long would it take for us to fly to Jerusalem? Several hours, right? By airplane. What if we had to, what if we had to walk there? It'd take, I don't know, that we could walk there. We'd have to somehow go up over the land bridge somewhere and come down through Asia. And, well, what if we just took a sailing ship? It would take months. But yet we live in a world now, now think about it, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, every nation under heaven is represented there. That's what the Bible says. 
And these nations came together, each speaking their own language, but they heard in their own language the wonderful works of God being declared. Pentecost was the feast associated with the harvest. It, was the, it marked the beginning of the conclusion of the harvest. God had been working since creation. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born under the law, born of woman. But he sent that son for a reason, for a purpose. And through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, God birthed a church. The church you're part of right now. And God has put, he has sown his word into the earth. And I'm telling you what. If you don't think the gospel isn't working, look around you and think about how you came to be where you are right now. 2,000 years removed from that day of Pentecost, thousands upon thousands of miles removed from that spot in the Middle East we call Jerusalem, but yet here we are reading the very words uttered by these men and recorded by these men talking about the very God who in that day, when it was prophesied centuries before on that day, brought that prophecy to pass. He poured out his spirit on all flesh. Here we are, every one of us, by your own admission, none of us purebred ethnic Jews. We're all Gentiles, yet we are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only are we worshiping him, but we have become his seed through faith in Christ, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Do you realize how amazing that is? Do you realize how absolutely and utterly incredible that is? God has done that by His Spirit. He has done that by His grace. He has given to you the very same gift that Peter, James, and John, and those other 120 waited for 10 days in an upper room in Jerusalem. They waited and they prayed for the gift, for the promise of the Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the anticipation that they had as they waited for the Holy Spirit to be poured out? And you sit here today, Christian, if you are in Christ, you have received the very same gift that they received on that day 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. Do you understand what you have received? Do you understand what God has given to you? Do you understand what dwells within you? It's powerful. It's amazing. It's almost unbelievable. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. That the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and dwells in me. That is utterly amazing. I pray that you would ask God to to open the eyes of your understanding, to open your heart to that truth, to, to begin to realize, to begin to comprehend. Let me just read. Let me just read what Paul, this is exactly what Paul said when he wrote his letter to the Ephesians. When he says, I pray without ceasing, I pray for you all the time, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Paul said, oh, that you would begin to understand what you have received in Christ. That God would open your eyes and open your heart and open your mind. That you would know the exceeding greatness of his power that works toward you and works in you. Pray that God would do that. Pray that God would begin to open the blind eyes of the church. Open the deaf ears of the church. Break the hard heart of the church that God's people would begin to see what they have received in Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand. Next week, we're going to talk about the purpose of power. We've talked about the promise of power. We've talked about the provision of power. You've got the power. Next week, we're going to begin to talk about the purpose of that power. God didn't give you what He gave you He didn't give you that promise for no purpose. There is a great purpose, and we need to understand that if we are going to fulfill the command and the commission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, I pray today that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, to the reality of what you have done, what you have freely given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray even as the proverb declares that we would not lean on our own understanding, but we would trust in you. We would acknowledge you in all of our ways. Lord, we wouldn't try to understand these things logically, reasonably. God, we would take the word at face value and we would trust and we would believe what the scripture declares. that You have truly provided something powerful powerful for us in Christ, the promise of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be men and women that will go out into this world and shine the brightness of your gospel, the brightness of your light, your light that is in us by grace through faith. Lord, bless the food that we're going to partake of next door. Bless the hands that prepared it. Bless the missionaries, Lord, that will benefit from the proceeds that we get today. We thank you for this, Father. We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Go next door, have a seat, and uh, food should be ready when you get there uh, very shortly. If anybody would like prayer about anything, please come. We would love to pray with you. If you have any questions about things I've talked about today, uh, or you want to talk about anything I've talked about today, I welcome that. Hopefully you can all stay and eat lunch with us. Amen.